This episode is brought to you by the Elite Academy, formerly known as hrvcourse.com. The Elite Academy now offers in-depth online courses on multiple subjects. So if you're enjoying the content of this podcast, but you're looking for a more structured and logical progression, looking at the science and application of these subjects, check out the Elite Academy at EliteHRV.com academy. Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Welcome back to the Elite HRV Podcast. This is your host, Jason Moore, and I'm extremely excited. I'm always excited, I guess, but I'm extremely excited to have with us today Ryan Maxwell of Fluid Health and Fitness. And uh, Ryan, we've been acquainted for a number of years now. And just a fun fact for the listeners is that the very first time we met in person was to go whitewater rafting in Colorado. And neither of us lived in Colorado. We just both happened to be going there at the same time and we had connected previously. Um, So what better way to have a first meeting than to make sure that uh, each of us is safe and not going to die, right? Yeah, exactly. Thanks for having (laughs) me today, Jason. We were... uh... Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about stress today. So, and its impact on memory and the way you move. So, what a good opportunity to, um, you know, to to meet each other to have a shared near death experience, right? So, <laughs> it really kind of embedded into my memory. So, thanks for having me today. Cheers. Yeah, welcome, Ryan, and thanks for taking the time. I know that uh, Fluid is growing quite a bit, and you have a lot of really interesting things going on, and uh, a baby coming. By the time this is published, the baby will probably have arrived, so that makes us both new dads. Um, so a lot of exciting things going on. <laughs> yeah, so if I have to uh, to leave the podcast early, uh, it, it, it it's not because I, I wanted to, so <laughs> hopefully All that right. will happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you, if you need to take that emergency call, we'll understand. <laughs> so um, just to give folks a little bit of background, uh, one of the reasons why I'm so excited is because I'm a, a really passionate about the uh, about human movement, about how the body works uh, structurally, as well as within the space of the world around us um, and how that impacts our mind and are conscious and a bunch of other things, right? So, uh, and I really love this quote when Ryan sent me a couple little uh, uh, bullets about some things that we might discuss. And in there, he included a, a line that I'm just going to steal right out of there. And um, that at Fluid Health and Fitness, they think about how movement is not just exercise, but it's it's a solution for health. And so we're going to dig into that a little bit more. Um, and and really try to help people change the way they see movement uh, in that regard. But a little background about Ryan. Um, he's got a few uh, uh, acronyms after his name there, CPT, CES. Uh, he's the CEO and founder of Fluid Health and Fitness. Um, he's a national presenter, a National Academy of Sports Medicine continuing education provider, a celebrity trainer in 
including formerly working with Jillian Michaels and an ACSM cancer exercise trainer. But through all of this, um, I've also over the years come to know that Ryan is an extremely thoughtful and detail-oriented person. As you'll find out, we're going to potentially get pretty deep on some of these uh, biomechanics and movement and uh, structural discussions and, and other areas of the nervous system and things like that. Um, but uh, I'm just yeah, yeah, well. excited to dig in. Well, so, Thank you, Jason. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we started Fluid because we recognized that there was a, um, a need to really look at the body as a whole. Um, and look at all the different factors that make a person successful. And, and being a trainer over the years, you, you begin to start to see what works and what doesn't work with different populations. And being an inquisitive person, what I always come to the conclusion or how I always come to the conclusion is, okay, well, what is working and what isn't working uh, for these groups of people that we're with? And that's how really I came across heart rate variability and um, looking at um, the way that we can track the body in non-invasive ways to give us better outcomes for everyone involved because the body's so you know beautifully dynamic. And if we don't consider all the, the, the nuance that, um, that impacts our ability to succeed or create these you know adaptations within the body, um, then we really aren't, um, we aren't digging deep enough. So that's what really intrigued me about the variability capacity and, and then also looking at, um, you know, human movement, optimal human movement so that we can, um, we can start, um, approaching the solution with, with, uh, more specific training protocols. And that's how fluid kind of came to life. And I think what's huge here is what you said is looking at the bigger picture. Whenever people think of movement or exercise, they may or may not consider uh, that there's things beyond just the musculoskeletal system that we might want to consider when it comes to uh, either alleviating pain uh, if we're recovering from an injury or some type of condition, even all the way to the other end of the spectrum when we're trying to achieve some higher level of performance, uh, like an athlete or even a recreational athlete, that it's more than just kind of that physical body that we look at in the mirror. Um, but that is, of course, a big piece of it. So I know you have kind of a, a systems approach to all of this. What are kind of the major systems that we should be aware of when we're looking at human movement? Well, like you said, you know, what we, we have to do is look at all the, the inputs that impact um, the body's ability to create efficient movement. And that's not just the musculoskeletal system, but the nervous system, the cardiopulmonary systems, the metabolic systems, and how they all work together. And not only that, but how our perception of stress in general and my hope for today's conversation was really to try to draw the connection between um, how we perceive our environment and how that impacts our impacts our physical or physiology, but also how our physiology then impacts how we perceive our environment. They're one and the same. And the more uh, that we study, the more research that we're gathering on these topics, we realize how they're inextricably connected and how we can start to approach the solution for movement. Um, in a more mindful way and really drawing that true connection between the mind body. Um, and so when we look at it, if we look at it from a mechanicalistic standpoint, this is what we always start with when we bring people into our facility and we work with individuals. It's first looking at 
um, how well they move and how they're maintaining their vertical center of mass and their joint uh, positionings. And we know that that's pretty important because if there's distortion in the way they just hold their posture, it's just going to exacerbate into the way that they move through the axis of rotation through these joints. And unfortunately, if you have un inefficient movement, it creates this cascade effect throughout the body that leads to chronic inflammation and ultimately can to lead to these other issues that people are experiencing, like cardiovascular disease, autoimmune disorders, um, just pretty much every, every disease state within the body is directly connected to the quality of your movement. So we really want to kind of emphasize how that's going on and how clean movement should look and then what, what your movement might be in relationship to optimal movement so that we can get it back to a neutral alignment and then help you engage in activities more efficiently. And there's so many uh, little things that you hinted at there, you know, one being uh, I'm uh, folks who have listened to this show before know that I'm also a big proponent of looking at nutrition from a, a bigger picture standpoint and using nutrition not only as a, a tool to uh, create the building blocks for your body, uh, micronutrients, macronutrients, but also uh, as a tool to help uh, reduce inflammation by eating cleaner, making cleaner choices. Um, and then also talking about how digestive health um, affects your ability to absorb those nutrients or deal with uh, the inflammation that comes from eating. And the reason why I bring this up is because it's just like a side example of what you're talking about here is that when what I've seen, and I have much more limited experience than you do looking at this stuff, is that when people have movement imbalances um, or restrictions or uh, uh, you know things like that, that it actually can impact the way that their digestive system works, and that can also then cause uh, you know a slowing of peristalsis or uh, increased inflammation in the gut, uh, and all of these things, like you said, are then going to turn back around and link to uh, rises in autoimmune conditions or other conditions, irritable bowel syndrome, whatever it is, uh, can also be linked back to uh, this movement concept. And, and vice versa, if you're uh, creating a lot of uh, inflammation in the gut from poor food choices, that we were talking about uh, uh, my baby before hitting record and you know it's hard to figure out because we can't talk to her she's only six weeks old um, if she's having some type of stomach pain because baby's digestive systems are uh, developing but it looks like something is causing her to kind of have a little bit of an imbalance in the way she carries herself and she's again she's just laying there so okay. yeah. um, not load bearing or anything but uh, before I finish digressing <laughs> is, um, you know, it's interesting to see that play out and how it all then relates back to impacting her movement and possibly her movement impacting her digestive health as one example of what, what this could yeah, be. And to, to add to that, the, the thought process here is that everything is interconnected. So the body obviously is constantly trying to maintain homeostasis or the balancing of all their internal systems whether they be autonomic or outside of our control, or like in the case of her baby, the somatic systems where she doesn't have much control over that yet, right? So I know you're helping her with movements and helping her with her digestive system, and that's a beautiful thing because you're you're tuned into the uh, the connection, um, and hopefully that'll help you get some sleep sleep uh, sleep next. Right? <laughs> so, you know, so the thought here is 
if we have inefficient uh, movement firing patterns or uh, movement sequencing through the body, it alters the tissue lengths that are, are tasked to be able to support your joint systems. If the joints aren't articulating efficiently, um, this leads to this cascade effect of inflammation where we're putting too much strain on the tissue beds. They become ischemic, so they're not getting enough oxygen or nutrients. And this creates this, this basically caustic environment where you end up, you know, triggering inflammatory neuropeptides into the body. And that's where we start to see chronic inflammation occur in elevated uh, levels of, of sympathetic activity in the body. And that's how the body then starts to react and, and starts to impact these other systems. So not only is it a mechanical stamp or from a mechanical standpoint impacting your body, but it's also uh, working on a chemical level and on a hormonal level to then impact the way that the heart functions, your baroreceptors, how you're maintaining your, your angiotensin renin and adulterone relationships. So blood pressure, blood circulation, sodium potassium ratios, all these things are directly related to the tissue qualities in your body. And really what we want to do is start looking at movement and at the biomechanics of efficient movement as really kind of a biomarker and how it feeds into chronic stress on the body and how that can then disrupt all these other internal systems. Mm, that's, uh, there's, you know, I, I remember from when I was uh, a trainer you know, years ago now uh, that I don't have the reference for the study in front of me, but um, there was a study done that showed uh, in uh, if you exclude kind of uh, uh, heart attacks and disease state and things like that, that the two biggest predictors of uh, death in the study were loss of muscle mass and loss of strength. Yeah. And so the study was done years ago. They weren't looking at complex biomechanics, but that's just uh, one kind of interesting indicator of how uh, movement and even if you want to just say exercise uh, as a basic introduction to movement, um, it, it can impact your longevity, uh, of course, outside of some of those other uh, disease states in that example. But um, so you so we have you mentioned these four major systems, the musculoskeletal system, the nervous system, the cardiopulmonary system, and the metabolic system. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you've mentioned that starting with that musculoskeletal system, there's a lot of cascading effects that can come from uh, poor biomechanics or imbalances or uh, and some of the joint coupling, couple relationships. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can touch on some of these other systems real quick and then dive deeper into some of them. Uh, you know, how does the nervous system and the cardiopulmonary and the metabolic systems play into all of this? So, if, you know, if we look at the nervous system, what it's about is was proprioception, which is a you know broad word, but it literally means proprio one's own perception or perception. So one's own perception of limb position and space. So from a somatic nervous system standpoint, meaning the, the nervous system that we're under control of or we have control of, we have the ability to engage these muscles to, to be able to support our balance first off, and then to be able to change our center of mass while maintaining a base of support so that our body can move through these big functional movement profiles. So when that goes on efficiently, because we can engage the nervous system appropriately with the right motor patterns, um, we put less 
basically wear and tear on our joints, right, or on, on our tissues in general. And that along, or allows us to maintain um, the health of these tissues for longer, right? So when we look at it from just a basic neuromuscular efficiency standpoint, it's really about coordinating the body's ability to, to create a movement that cares for the body and cares for the joints and cares for all the connective tissues involved in it. And when we alter that neuromuscular efficiency, that's when our, our body has to create a compensation. And the simple analogy is if I stub my toe or if I, you know, knock my knee on something, right, you're not going to put weight on that area. You're going to shift your center of mass over to another part of your body and, and faint away from it to protect it. And essentially, that's what's going on with these 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 different nervous system strategies. It's your body trying to find a new normal because what's what should be working isn't. And that's really where the the nervous system is impacted on a somatic level, where we change the way that we we create new mood, movement patterns or blueprints in our brain. And so, unfortunately, this goes on all the time because of movement redundancies, occupational postural overloads. You know, you're at your job, right? We sit in front of a computer. If you own a camera or a phone or a computer, there's a good chance that you're going to have altered neuromuscular efficiency because of the, the constant engagement of one movement process all the time. So when that goes on, it changes the muscular relationships as the tension becomes more compressive in one area and more strained or taut in another area. And that's where we start to get into how that can then impact the nervous system on a central nervous system level as the tension on these tissues literally creates an inflammatory process where the body sees it as diseased. So it's kind of like if you were to bench press five days a week and you never gave yourself time to recover, your body's inflamed. It's, it's trying to recover. Um, it's going to tr create that, that recovery process where it's going to first start by increasing your immune system's response to the breakdown of the tissues. Now, if that's going on all the time in these strained tissues, your body is basically always seeing itself as being attacked, and it's constantly going to try to find a way to, to restore that. And the peripheral activity associated with that pressure leads to compression on your nerve endings, which literally basically creates these, these inflammatory um, responses in the body where it starts attacking not only the tissue involved, but the peripheral nervous system as well. And we start to lose efficiency in that nervous system, whether it's from our skeletal muscle or our smooth muscle or our arterial muscle to be able to support, again, uh, blood flow and circulation to those areas. So they literally become diseased tissues and we don't have the capacity to get them to heal or to recover or to rebalance of the natural symmetries that the muscles support for the joints. And that's how this cascades throughout the body as every single muscle is interconnected with one breaking down, the whole system then becomes distorted because of it. So we always use the analogy of a chassis on a car and the suspension system. If the suspension system or um, your muscles aren't supporting the force absorption, it's going to move into another area of the body. And that's called um, accessory motion or hypermobility. And that's where we start to see breakdown where movement happens where it shouldn't occur. And that's where we, we start to see additional wear and tear. So that's what people call bursitis, tendonitis, arthritis. It's too much pressure exerting them itself on one area. 
So then this feeds into the metabolic systems as the body's unable to provide circulation and blood flow to these muscles, thereby inhibiting the body to support the mitochondria or to proliferate new blood vessels or to support oxygen and nutrient delivery to the muscles. So we don't, it impacts our fatty acid metabolism as we're not getting oxygen to the cells. Our body becomes more reliant on different energy systems like glycolysis, which then makes our body have to dysregulate our insulin and our blood glucose stabilization. And this all factors into your chronic health and obviously the support of all the other internal systems as your body's not efficiently using resources any longer. Wow. Yeah. And I, I love how you linked it back to um, some of those other processes. And uh, folks may have heard that, um, you know, skeletal muscle is very metabolically active. So you can also imagine what that means uh, if you're, if you have a lot of inflammation and asymmetry and dysfunction in uh, throughout the body, what that may mean for, um, you know, your ability to regulate your body weight, uh, your ability to clear uh, toxins from the body using the lymphatic system and, and other related systems. Um, so really interesting and deep subject. And I love how we can connect it all back to movement at the end of the day, because uh, that's something that, um, you know, uh, the folks say the original development of our brain uh, the reason why our brain uh, developed so much in complexity was so that we could actually develop greater complexity of movement. And so um, our ability to move in very fine, uh, fine motor patterns and complex ways allowed us to, you know, invent tools and uh, do all sorts of things that contributed to our continued evolution as a dominant species after like mosquitoes and roaches um, and uh, maybe cows, depending on what your uh, definition is. But um, anyways, uh, so let, let's dig into the movement piece a little bit as well. Um, and, you know, we're talking about uh, on one hand, uh, movement dysfunction, and on the other end of the spectrum, optimal human movement. And as far as it goes, you know, obviously there's are, there are very extreme cases of movement dysfunction, and there are very extreme cases of movement ability, uh, and most people fall on the spectrum somewhere in between. Uh, so what is kind of this spectrum look like, and what are we, uh, what does optimal movement entail? So uh, recently, we've we've been able to develop relationships with physical therapists who've been referring referring their patients post-clinical release to us once they've um, rehabilitated a specific injury cycle. So when we think about the end spectrum of pathological movement or disease movement, like in a, in a, a specific joint, oftentimes we think of an acute relationship like a trauma to a, a specific area like your shoulder, where maybe we fell and we, we you know, we ended up injuring ourselves. But what we're recognizing is that chronic movement or the way we engage the musculoskeletal system has a huge impact on um, the development of injuries and injury cycles throughout the body. And it's more systemic over the course of you know, decades. So what we realize is that we put our body into certain positions that make us more susceptible to having additional wear and tear on specific joints. And that's where 
even acute relationships, like when we fall, the body was already in a disposed position for that to become injured. And when we think about being um, proactive about managing our motion health, we want to look at first, are we able to maintain our, our centers of mass in our joints? What I like to think of the body as is a very specific machine where the articulations or the way that the joint surfaces move on each other, they have a very specific and predictable pattern. And you have a cardinal plane of motion in each of your joints, and the joint can move in three different planes. But then when they move, they move optimally in a very specific angle, and then they couple with joints as you ripple movement through the body. Now, the joint coupling relationships when sound allow you to facilitate um, the right recruitment patterns of the muscles that support those joints in a way that keeps them, again, in what we would call anatomically neutral or where you would put the least amount of wear and tear onto that specific joint because the muscles and the nervous system are all working appropriately and they're getting the, the joint to move as it's supposed to. So what we do is first uh, first evaluate are your joints first and their neutral center of mass? And that's where we talk about posture. So do you have this, you know, they call it scholar's neck or lazy man's posture where you're rounded and you're excessively cathodic. We see the angles of the spine and the way that the adjoining segments like your scapula and your pelvis, how they move um, when they're supposed to be dynamically stable, if they're moving more than they should or rotating more than they should in relationship to their centers of mass. And then when we know that the distortion is present without movement, we know that then it's going to then um, be amplified if we then start adding motion into the, into the equation. And so we look at the axis of rotation of how the joint is supposed to move, and then we look to see if there's a susceptibility towards it moving improperly. Or maybe you have a recruitment pattern, the way that you engage it just was, was programmed or trained improperly. So whether it's because the posture is off or because the movement um, hasn't been adequately trained in, into your, your motor cortex and your movement profiles, um, we would want to start with first, let's get the, the, the stability back to these joints or in these joints, and then let's get the body to move the, the axis of rotation efficiently without premature compression or impingement, which is, again, you know, the tissues being compressed. Uh, before they should be. And once we know that that movement is, is qualified and we're not distorted through a full axis or range of motion, then we, we start to um, put, you know, stack joints on each other. So if the ankle moves disproportionately internally, we know that that's going to rotate your lower leg internally, and that's going to then create counterforce at the knee. Well, that counterforce has to be supported at the pelvis. Well, if the pelvis has to absorb that force and it doesn't have the capacity to, it's going to rotate into the hip. And so the, the forces are passing through all these joints and the joints have a very specific relationship that helps to keep them stable. And if we don't maintain those relationships, well, then we see motion happen where it's not supposed to. So the problem, again, is that most people, if you tell them they're not moving correctly, um, they don't take well to that. Because <laughs> you know they 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 gain their identity through their athleticism, right? So we all are moving creatures. We love to move, and if you're an athlete, especially, you know, I've um, you you use your body all the time. It becomes your own personal identity. And so, 
when we know that we have movement that is pathologic in nature, not just at the articulation or one joint, but in the entire spectrum or the, the vector of force through the entire body, we know that there's a potential for injury to occur, even though it may not be evident at that point in time. And mm-hmm. our philosophy is we would want to get ahead of that and and recalibrate the way our body um, engages in that movement to protect it within the range of intensity that the, the person can, that they, they are able to uh, sustain. And that means oftentimes we're working in intensity ranges that are ballistic in nature where we're doing, you know, plyometrics and sprints and cut and stop and deceleration where our body isn't even posturally stable enough to maintain our own joints. So it's an eventuality that the tissues would receive that force disproportionately. And eventually that, that area is going to become broken down prematurely or eventually it it will take the brunt of it. So a lot of times we have to step back and, and really kind of swallow that better, bitter pill and say, okay, where are we at fun, fundamentally in the ability to maintain our centers of gravity? Can we then apply force to the mechanism without it going into a, uh, an altered movement or a maladapted movement? And then once you can sustain that, then we add the intensity ranges and work our way up. And from a performance paradigm, the thought process is if, if we don't do that, we know that injury is, is inevitable. It's predictable. It's something that we can get ahead of. So we would want to start from the baselines and work our way back up um, to the level of, of precision or performance adaptation um, that we associate with different activities like sporting activities or you know day-to-day especially activities. That's what we, uh, we want to help people get back to. So it's not just pathologic articulation, but movement as a whole. And then um, and stepping back and applying what is necessary in, in terms of tension in order to facilitate optimal movement. And obviously, we know that there's a, a very big impact on um, the metabolism and the nervous system, um, your circulatory system, your ability to maintain healthy body fat storages. All those things are a very, very much a derivative of that. And there was, yeah, I really like that you brought up intensity and looking at the baseline as well, because I think, um, you know, athletes on the one hand can uh, definitely be thinking, okay, well, in in the heat of competition, I'm not going to be moving uh, with the most efficient patterns all the time. I'm going to be exposed to a lot of ballistic uh, movements, like you said, dynamic and plyometric movements that are uh, just out of out of their control if they want to be able to perform uh, at that level in the competition. But I think what you're saying is that it's not that you can never uh, never do those movements. It's not that you always have to be biomechanically 100% optimal in every movement. It's that you want to create the baseline of efficiency. And you also, when you're talking about repeating that movement, frequently, you want to be repeating it close to uh, or below or not above at least the intensity that your current condition can handle uh, on an ongoing basis. Is that, uh, am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah. The, the baseline is that you, you, you train to perform. So 
the thought is if you know you're going to be subjected to certain forces in the arena, whatever that sport might be, you want to profile the activities and try to, uh, to instill a reflex response within your movement quality so that it absorbs force as efficiently and as safely as possible. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. The, the concept of agility is truly to be able to respond to a stimulus so that when called upon, your body reflexively puts you in a safe position where if I have to do split thinking reaction to a stimulus, my body will naturally go the path of motion that will protect it and be able to sustain the forces necessary to take the impact, uh, decelerate and change direction, all those other things. And, and really that's what speed and agility training is all about is getting the body to be functionally capable of supporting those, those requirements without uh, having a susceptibility towards hypermobility in areas of the body, which is another way of saying torque dump. If we're not capable of supporting the force, it'll go somewhere else. And that's where injuries occur typically um, where movement shouldn't go and it goes in the body um, and that stable area becomes unstable. That's when we, we start to experience the strains, the sprains, the pooling of certain muscles that were um, overtasked and they didn't have the capacity to support it. And the, the, the process here is if we know we're going to engage in these activities to first try our best to um, support the body in a way that's going to allow it to to um, respond to the stimulus in the right way um, and then pattern that until it becomes you know, very secondary or very um, reflexive in the way that we approach it. I think that uh, I love this this line of discussion because it can relate back to everyday folks who are not athletes as well. Absolutely. And um, what I find is that um, over the years, the the more I develop my uh, movement patterns and create default patterns that seem to work more efficiently than I did in the past, um, although there's always room for improvement. Um, is I have an example that folks will likely experience sometime in their life. And that's if you step incorrectly off of a curb or a stair or something like that. Like if you just, uh, weren't expecting some change in your footing and, uh, you accidentally step on like the outside of your foot, for example, and bend your ankle in such a way that you weren't expecting, you clearly are not planning to all the time walk around on the outside of your foot with a, a really uh, bent ankle. Um, but if you have the neurologic patterns and the reaction times, and uh, again, actually, I want to take another sidebar here sure. and say that the neurologic activity is uh, why it's important to develop that uh, both as an athlete and as an average person is because a lot of these reactions happen before you're conscious of the situation occurring, right? Yep. And so when you step, uh, misstep and you bend your ankle incorrectly, well, your time to react to that is so short that you don't have time to say, oh, my ankle is bent. What should I do? Should I step, should I step to the left? Should I step to the right? Yeah, it's too late if you're, you know, if you're thinking all of that. So. <laughs> Um, you just respond. And what I've found is that over the years, um, I've become faster and more efficient at responding in a really optimal way, as optimal as you can be in that suboptimal event. And so I'll immediately 
as soon as my ankle positioning is compromised, I'll immediately lift the all load off of that foot and, uh, you know, slam my other foot down into the ground uh, in, in a good position to catch my body weight. So on the one hand, I don't sprain my ankle. On the other hand, I don't face plant. All I do is take one hard step on the other foot to catch that mistake. And it all happens automatically. Exactly. And they, that's called the cross extensor reflex. So it's, you know, as your baby develops and they start to get into Legos, right? If you step on a sharp object, your pain response is to withdraw where the one leg is going to go into flexion. And when one flexes, the opposite hemisphere goes into extension. So your glutes and your hamstrings will contract. So that reflex arc is a protection mechanism for us. And the way that we recruit our muscles to be able to um, utilize that reflex in an efficient way will make the difference between a strain to the to the area that's being lifted, right? Or uh, hypercompression in one area, taking creating motion into the spine and pelvis on the braced leg when as you draw the leg up. So the concept here is if we teach those systems how to efficiently coordinate movement when you're called upon in an alarm response, um, your body will naturally go to the path of least resistance. And if there's already developed resistance because you have force couple imbalances, that then can lead to a potential injury. So I always think of muscles as rubber bands. And if muscles are already overly stretched because certain force couples are pulling into compression on one area and stretching another if you force that overly stretched muscle um, into action, that's normally where we get the strain. Um, we get the, you know, the pull of the muscle. And you see that in hamstrings all the time when people have to rely on that relationship and it's not, uh, it's not ready for it. So the concept again is if we know that the body is struggling with just basic force couple imbalances because of whether it be posture or possibly inadequate uh, training protocol or overdoing one muscle or prior injury or all the things that make the body working inefficiently. It means that um, we may not even have the voluntary or involuntary engagement of the muscle because the nervous system has actually shut itself down. And that's where things start to really start to escalate in accumulative injury cycles as the nerve endings that are responsible for the facilitation of a contracture aren't firing because they become diseased um, because they're overcompressed and ischemic and the muscle groups are creating this pro-inflammatory environment. The muscle can't even fire and engage. And that puts us into a position where um, injury can be, um, you know, a likelihood. And so that's something that for us, we think it's very important that we understand those relationships first. We know how much of a stress that can then put into the body and Jason, like you touched on, the amount of cognitive energy that we place um, into just maintaining our proprioception, our, our body's position, is immense. So when we develop these cycles of pain in the body, it robs us in other areas of our cognitive function, and it keeps us from really having the highest quality of life that we want for ourselves. And so... The recognition is that the brain impacts our, our movement and our movement impacts our brain and our, our cognitive appraisal. And there's a, there's a concept called exercise salience or the ability to engage in involuntary activity. So 
your likelihood to be motivated to get up and want to go out and exercise. Well, when we have these pain cycles and pro-inflammatory environments in our body, it's our body's way of saying you're diseased in some way, you're strained in some way, you need to slow down and conserve energy and resources. And so it makes it hard for you to activate those dopamine relationships within your brain to to get motivation, to want to get out and get to move. And so we recognize how important it is to start at a baseline that's appropriate for an individual relative to where they sit in their movement quality, because we know how hard it really is to want to get started again. And when you look at the pro-health seeking behaviors of individuals trying to, to get healthy, we really want to have a better grasp of where they sit, both emotionally, their cognitive appraisal of how they move in their pain, and how we want to approach exercise in a way that is used to, to help rebuild those systems and not beat them down or create more inflammation and, and more pain and, uh, and again, more um, dysfunction into their metabolism. And I think that's where you, and that's kind of where our paths started crossing was you were looking for tools to kind of measure just the general condition of the person on a day-to-day basis as it relates to general inflammation, general um, stress levels, things like that. And uh, HRV being a nice fit to fulfill some of that need. And so what are some of the tools in your toolkit when you're looking at this uh, I know HRV, I just brought up being one of those, um, and we can dig into that a little bit more, but, um, just at a high level, kind of what are some of the tools in your toolkit when you're looking at assessing somebody's current condition? Well, you know, we always do a health history to start with, cause we want to get an interpretation of what's going on up to the point. So as much data as we can gather first off. So obviously a, a health history, including what their nutritional back background looks like, what prior injuries they've experienced? Are they on any medications? Um, are they taking supplements? What's their relationship like with food? How are they managing their nutrition? Uh, do they have cravings? Their self-appraisal of stress? Um, how they approach problems? Those are the things that we like to look at to start with. And then from there, we, we look at their movement quality. So we do a biomechanical screen of, of major joints in their body. And again, we assess for um, the ability to maintain its center of mass, again, does it move without um, creating a maladapted um, movement profile? And then can you stack the joints into an integrated joint position where the joint couplings work with the right sequence and firing of the muscle patterns? We cross-reference that against a, um, a motion quality assessment uh, where we use a, an infrared camera it feeds into um, basically a learning engine that looks at uh, all the same same qualities. So we use a system called Kinetisense. We've partnered with these, this organization um, to to look at within a millimeter accuracy or submillimeter accuracy the axis of rotation, um, the degree of rotation of all the movements. Um, they're building into it the uh, velocity curve as well, which we're excited about. Um, but also um, how a person's posture reflects against that vertical and the horizontal transverse centers of mass and how they move. So we we use that as a learning tool for individuals to see where they sit in relationship to optimal movement and what the average individual looks like. So they get a scoring around that. Um, We also 
have um, metabolic panels where individuals will go in for blood draws to look at different factors, SIBO testing for uh, gut, uh, gut health. Um, we look at, again, inflammatory factors in the blood, C-reactive protein. Um, we look at um, your, your general biomarkers. Um, and again, this is relative to the individual and what, what their needs are. Um, and then we do an ongoing analysis of their movement every six to 12 weeks um, and give them feedback information about how they're improving. So this way, it's not just we move them to change the qualities of the tissues so that they either become less restrictive or, or more stiff, but we also teach them how the movement should occur so that they start to develop the right patterns um, and they're able to understand truly whether it's me doing a bench press or it's me doing an overhead, you know, vertical, you know, shoulder press, or I'm reaching for a glass in the cupboard, or I'm reaching down and picking up my child, or I'm, you know, reaching to pick up a weed as I'm, I'm cleaning my yard out. It, it all is movement, 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 and to understand how the body uh, interprets that movement and in a way that's going to protect them is uh, really what's help them to establish a better quality of life. And I, I think that's, uh, it's really highlights the whole conversation theme here when we talked about these tools is that one of them was biomechanically uh, emphasized, but there's a lot of other pieces that you're looking at, digestive health, biomarkers, um, you know, emotional uh, condition, motivation, health history. And so people may, you know, again, take a step back and realize how integrated movement is into the body and into your health situation, as well as how your general health situation can affect your movement. Um, so they're, they're interrelated and inseparable. Um, and using movement as a movement as medicine, so to speak, <laughs> exactly. for, your, for your overall health. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I also think as you listed out examples of movement, my favorite, and maybe this is just because I'm, uh, maybe there's something off up upstairs for me, but, uh, I love unexpected movement scenarios. They, when I respond well to unexpected movements that I need to do, like tripping over a carpet and I recover really quickly and efficiently, Usually nobody's around to uh, <laughs> revel in my glory, but um, I feel awesome when I respond uh, instantly and correctly to an unexpected movement scenario. Um, but I feel like, again, highlighting that that isn't possible or it's much less probable, so to speak, if you have a lot of uh, dysfunction in the system and if your joints and nervous system uh, and your neurology and uh, everything is working against you, then those situations for, for people who aren't athletes, especially become the uh, life-changing situations, especially as you age, where injuries occur and cause a cascade of uh, health effects that, uh, you know, could lead to ultimately to, to the end of you, you know, depending on where you're at in your journey. Um, and not to make light of that, but it's it's uh, it's just something that is more relevant to all of us than we might realize. Yeah, and I and that's exactly it. And 
and we know that there are stressors on our in our in our lives that we can control, and there are things that we can't control. Um, and we personally believe that movement is one of those stressors. And a lot of times, people may not be experiencing pain in their body, but there just might be tension that alters their body's chemistry in such a way that they're just you know the RPMs in their car are just running a little bit hotter than they should. And when we look at our body as a machine, and we only have the one machine our whole life. We believe that it's um, it's very important that we understand how that machine works and how to care for it in a meaningful way. And there are things that are going to be um, maintenance items that you're going to have to work on. And exercise is really you breaking out your toolbox and and tinkering on on your car. It's really making sure that that vehicle runs appropriately. And you're always going to drive it. And you're, you might want to take it on a racetrack and even race it. And sometimes there's potholes in that racetrack, right, where maybe you're the only one on the racetrack, but you you can avoid those potholes, right, your feats of of, uh, of balance and, and uh, symmetry. But what it really means is that exercise is, is something that we can use to help to balance and, and to um, – restore the health and function of our of our entire body not just the musculoskeletal system but but every system um, that it um, involves itself with which is everything and the better that we get at um, understanding those systems um, the healthier we're going to be the better we're going to feel and we, we realize that that's a feed forward mechanism that then impacts how you feel about yourself um, your ability to want to engage in activities your motivation, um, anxiety levels, depression, um, all these things have a direct relationship with the quality of your movement. And when we start to see how something as simple as doing some general mobility work and some simple strength exercises can have such a profound impact on our outlook and our general disposition and our uh, desire to want to engage in life more fully um, we think it's a very powerful tool that people need to be more aware of um, and to start looking at it uh, in, in a way that's restorative and not just aesthetic in nature or performance in nature. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I want to ask you a quick question about um, what you just mentioned there, a couple of mobility exercises and some strengthening exercises. But before I do, I just want to also emphasize that, um, you know, people may have heard that where, uh, your posture affects your confidence, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. so people who have a very upright kind of confident appearing posture tend to also in, in the research, uh, exhibit true increases in confidence. Um, and then that cascades into, uh, like you said, just, uh, approaching challenging situations more confidently, uh, more likely to overcome challenges, uh, more likely not to uh, uh, exhibit fear uh, uh, in certain cases. And so um, it's, you know, uh, there might be a chicken or the egg scenario with some of those examples, but the correlation is definitely there in the sense that uh, when you feel confident in your movement, uh, actually a long time ago, I had another podcast 
where I uh, uh, interviewed a person um, who was talking about rewilding yourself. And one of the things that he uh, likes to do is create a better relationship with the floor for um, his uh, clients, I suppose you could say. Um, And just saying like a lot of people are afraid of the floor but the floor is around us all the time. And, um, you know, you, you can't, unfortunately due to gravity, we can't get away from the floor very easily. Um, and so creating a better relationship with the floor through movement, getting down on the floor, getting back up and then doing some more, uh, kind of targeted, uh, relationships with the floor can increase your confidence all, all the time throughout the day. You're spending all of your time around the floor. So, um, there's some interesting uh, thoughts underneath all of that, probably some additional research to do, but uh, I just kind of wanted to add those thoughts for people to, to think more about that. And then I wanted to ask you in general, I know that the specific condition of the person as an individual matters, but what do you find is the general split for is it strengthening exercises that people typically need to focus more on? Or is it that, uh, is it kind of passive stretching? Is it active mobility? Which of the intervention tools, movement intervention tools, do you find most people are lacking in or need the most of? Well, you know, that's an interesting question because, you know, it's the the debate for a lot of you know, exercise physiologists, is, is, is it strength that's needed or is it, you know, a reduction in tonus and other muscles? And really it's, it's everything. So, and, and it's always one of those things where you have to say it depends, but generally speaking, what we know is that certain muscles when over-engaged, it's because they're compensating for something else in the body, uh, normally because there's a lack of strength somewhere else. So, what we have to do is unravel, um, basically unravel and peel back the onion to get to the, to the culprit and not just address the symptom. And I've grown really, um, fond of this saying, and I mean, and I, I can't remember who said it, where I heard it, but, um, this, the saying is basically, um, it's the victim that cries out, not the culprit in the body. Mm. And when we look at the body, we know that you can't shoot a, a canoe from a can or uh, shoot a cannon from a canoe, right? Which right. means you can produce all the force you want in certain muscles by training them. But if you don't have the functional stability to absorb that force or control that force, you're going to sink your canoe. So the, I hope the analogy kind of rings home to the importance of looking at both factors, strength as a function of stability and reducing the muscles that maybe you might have a tendency to overuse. So generally what we see in most populations is a lack of obviously intrinsic core strength or intra-abdominal pressure or the ability to maintain intra-abdominal pressure, but not just in isolation like in a crunch, but maintaining that, that pressure or that tone uh, against the forces exerted from the big superficial phasic muscle groups that you have in your legs. So a lot of times the muscles of the legs, like the quads, the hamstrings, the external rotators of the hips, like the glutes and the piriformis, they exert too much force on the pelvis and we don't have enough stability of our 
our core musculature, our stabilizers to be able to support that force efficiently without it moving into the spine. So as a general rule of thumb, what I would recommend is looking at mobility exercises that restore the natural range of motion for the the legs within the pelvis, which is again, stretching exercises for the, the, the extensors, like the hamstrings and the glutes. If you can't get your leg up to 90 degrees of flexion, if you can't bring your your leg back 10 degrees of hip extension in an upright vertical posture without the pelvis rotating down lordotically, that's a good indication that your quads and your flexors might be tight. And then once again, if that's going on, we're seeing hypermobility into the lumbar spine and into, into the thoracic spine. So you're going to want to work on intrinsic stability by increasing your intra-abdominal pressure. And that means core exercises and in different ranges of motion and through different functional movement patterns. So a lot of stuff that they can do. That's We offer a free YouTube channel um, with lots of information on various movement impairments that people can use for free. We always get people to want to be more aware of what's going on. So feel free to tap into those resources. It's you know Fluid Health and Fitness at YouTube. Um, and we just believe that you know, movement is a fundamental right. And like you said, you should be able to get down on the ground and get back up. One of the number one reasons why people, you know, they end up dying is because they don't have the ability to get up and down from the ground. And that signifies a lack of mobility. And we realize that movement is key to life and why our tagline is your body's designed to move. So you need to stay in motion. And, uh, and that's what we believe in. That, that tagline is, uh, it's so relevant in so many ways. Um, if people are standing right now, even if you're not, this is still applies, but definitely when you're standing still, that, uh, calling it standing still is actually a misnomer because you're not still, uh, it's just that the movement is very small. And if you, uh, take a skeleton and you tie it together with string and then you try to stand it up, it'll just collapse, right? Because the soft tissue, the joints, the muscles and everything is actually constantly rebalancing the skeletal, the, your entire body with really micro movements and adjustments all the time. And a good example of how you can highlight this is if you, uh, I, I don't recommend you try this unless you're confident about uh, trying this and maybe consult somebody first. But um, if you think about standing on your hands, if you look at somebody who is not very good at standing on their hands, it looks like they're wobbling all over the place. If you look at somebody who, like a gymnast, who's very experienced at standing on their hands, it looks like they're standing on their feet because they're so still. Yep. And they're very stacked and everything. So, but the, yeah. So, what you're doing to get from the wobbly to the still, again, uh, highlighting what our children are about to go through, is they start out by uh, making these really strong corrections. Right? You're like, oh, I'm leaning too far to the left. Quick, correct back to the right. And as you're learning to stand for the very first time as a child, you're making these huge corrections. Those corrections become faster and more minute over time to where it looks like you're standing still. And so again, back to your tagline, we're never actually still, we're always in motion. Uh, so being good at moving is definitely something that will benefit us every moment of our life almost. Yeah, uh, exactly. 
Yeah. And it's so, uh, again, also uh, strength as a function of stability and mobility. I love that. If people want some type of funny uh, YouTube video to look up for that, you can look up uh, a gymnast versus a bodybuilder. And uh, there's YouTube videos showing bodybuilders trying to do different gymnastics movements. And of course, everyone in the video is very strong, but the bodybuilders way more muscular than the gymnast, but they cannot uh, do the same movements as the gymnast because of the the difference in how they developed that muscle tissue. Um, and so I'll leave folks to with that to think about. Uh, I wanted to, if you have the time, just ask you one more uh, quick, maybe open up one quick rabbit sure. hole <laughs> about about fascia. Yeah. Um, we mentioned it a couple times. Um, it's something that's sort of a hot topic depending on what people are interested in, what they read about. Um, you know, just in a quick overview of what fascia is and then how does that relate to all of this that we've been talking about? So fascia is the non-contractile, um, tissue that envelops every single cell in our body. Um, it's, it's basically, you know, you talked about the skeletal system held together by strings and really the, the skeletal system is held together by fascia and we move all of it with our musculature and we can form our fascia and uh, direct our fascia by how we create movement. And that's fascial formation. Fascia is basically a substance that develops. Um, it's, it's fibrous. It's collagenous. It, it basically helps to reinforce where pressure is exerted in the body. So if you, you know, we always say if you cut through a piece of steak and you, you can see the white lines through the steak and the, the striation patterns of the musculature, you see where the fascia develops based on tension lines in the body. These fascial lines help to support the tensegrity of your body as a structure. And, and if you think of a tensegrity structure, it's like a suspension bridge where uh, it's suspended, you have compressive forces that, um, you know, act with gravity and your muscles and your fascia basically pull back against it with tension. And so where there's additional pressure exerted in the body, it creates an additional formation of this collagen to help to support the structure and the rigidity of those areas. So oftentimes fascia develops and becomes very dense where additional movement um, occurs in the body. Now, the reason why this has become such a hot topic is fascial density also impacts um, nociception or the pain receptors in the body. It impacts circulation. It impacts, again, the the adequate force couple relationships that support our joints. Um, This tissue is also very emotional. So, you know, that's a very vague way of saying that it's under the control of the autonomic systems. When we're triggered and we have a stress hormonal relationship, um, the tissues can become more restrictive and they magnify the impingement cycles where the joints are compressing down on neurons and we create pain because of it. It has a relationship with fibromyalgia and a hypersensation to pain. And these are all new things that are emerging where where people are starting to recognize fascia as a, a, um, a more significant relationship um, in the quality of uh, not only our, our movement, but also in our overall health. So fascia is a, v- a fairly important thing. And, and learning where those tension lines are in the body, 
understanding where they should be, where they shouldn't. Example would be your IT band. That's a very, you know, very specific piece of fascia on the side of your quad, right? That develops as you grow. Um, it becomes more dense as your body relies on that connection between your pelvis and the lower extremity. But there are also fascial lines in your body that uh, develop because of microtrauma or overuse that then distort the way that the muscles work and that alters your, your sensory motor integration or your ability to engage those muscles efficiently. And like we touched on today, how that has such an impact on the quality of your metabolism and your overall health. So really fascia pulls into the joints, alters the joint centers so that they're not balanced, create additional compressive forces that aren't supposed to happen, and then create this cascade effect of inflammation through the body. So when we know that that's going on because of an over-recruitment or a lack of mobility in a certain area, we want to use tools like self-myofascial release, neuromuscular stretching, pin and stretch techniques, soft tissue mobilization to restore the natural length relationship of these tissues. And this takes time because obviously these pressure relationships developed over time. So it's not an acute thing where we just immediately go in and, and change the fascial relationship. It's very viscous, very very uh, stiff. The properties are are very stiff. So it, it takes some time to get the muscles to cooperate and get the length out of these tissues. But to get back to that original question of what should I strengthen or mobilize? Well, really, it's about looking at where those relationships lie on both sides of the joint center, restoring the mobility and the length relationships of the fascia and the compressed areas or the over-engaged areas and restoring the natural hypertrophy or strength or stiffness and the opposing muscles that aren't strong enough to support it. And by maintaining that chronic tension relationship on the opposite side of the joint center, it helps to chronically create an environment where the fascial tissues reform and then start to naturally elongate to their natural relationships so that we're able to get back to the equilibrium around the joints the way that they were meant to be and in a healthy uh, and efficient movement profile. And again, that comes back to uh, probably uh, we mentioned some of the tools in your toolkit when assessing condition, but also some of the tools in the toolkit for the rehabilitation or intervention process, uh, including corrective exercise, strengthening exercises, mobility, stretching, um, uh, manual therapy, and all of the flavors that that entails uh, from massage to chiropractic to, uh, self, uh, your, uh, I don't know what the right word is, body work on yourself, mo uh, phone rolling, things like that. Uh, it's, and it's, it's so impactful. The, the, you know, we see it every day as chronic pain relationships that once that we equate as, okay, we're getting older, it's outside of our wheelhouse or, you know, we just really don't have a control over it. And really, it's so very easy to contain and to to change. And, and just having the right tools, like you said, and understanding how to apply the techniques in a way that um, that gives you true, um, true adaptation, but also understanding the context of the length of time necessary to get those adaptations. That's that's important because obviously, you know, we always want we want everything right away. Right. So it's. It's learning the timing, the sequencing, um, the impact, what, what's, what's the, the scope, how long is it going to take? People want to have a, an understanding. They want to know how contextually this is going to happen. 
and being able to give people guidelines around very specific techniques and what they should be expecting in terms of the outcomes helps to mm-hmm. helps to give them you know agency belief and when it comes to the body um, adherence is everything so you know in, in order to adhere you have to believe right so yeah. uh, it's it's making sure that we give adequate guidelines to provide context so individuals know what they can expect um, these adaptations happen um, it builds on the um, the proof and it facilitates uh, a lifestyle or behavioral change. And that's really where we see magnitudes of change as people start taking these techniques and applying it to their life as a, as a behavior. And again, going back to the car analogy, you're always going to have to rotate your, your tires. You're always going to have to change your oil. There are wear parts within the vehicle that are always going to need your attention. And when you understand that the body has these same mechanisms that need this special attention, it helps you to work on that vehicle, keep it running optimally and allowing you to engage in life the way you want to, whether it's riding a bike at 90 or getting up and off the ground or just being present in your life because you're not in pain and you're not restricted so that you can be the best physical version of yourself. We believe that's an inherent right that everyone should have. Mm. And I just actually a week or two ago recorded another podcast with uh, specifically about pain and how distracting it can be, which I, I'm glad you brought up here, is that uh, when pain comes from movement, that affects your uh, not only your motivation to move, so you're less likely to move if it's painful, uh, but also then it's distracting from the rest of your life. So uh, you know, if you want to see how that might cascade in, there's a, uh, I've done podcasts on mindfulness, uh, as well, but also, uh, in separate interviews, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett both said that the number one contributing factor to their success was focus. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to remain focused if you have this kind of constant, uh, signaling from your body that something's not right internally right and uh so many many uh cascading effects there and so i think um you know this is probably a good place to start wrapping up and uh i wanted to just highlight it also what you said at the end there that at fluid health and fitness you ryan uh, are very interested in the success of the person in the long term Mm -hmm. and that a large portion of that is the behavior patterns and the psychology of all of this. So not only is it setting expectations and fulfilling or exceeding those expectations as it refers to how long will it take to correct this movement pattern, for example, but also realizing where people are at in their life today. And are there some small wins that we can make early on without, uh, you know, that gives us a cascade of motivation instead of a cascade of inflammation (laughs) and, um, and, you know, working from there. So I'm really a big fan of what y'all are doing, uh, relating the mind body, uh, experience to people's behavior in their life, meeting them, them where they are, and then taking them to places they didn't imagine they could ever be. Yeah. That's exactly it. So where can folks uh, find more about you? I know you mentioned that you have a lot of free content on YouTube. Do people just search for Fluid Health and Fitness to find that? 
Yeah, we have different channels through the social media world, but we uh, we offer everyone a, a free virtual assessment. Um, we're actually building a platform currently where we'll be able to conduct the uh, three or the um, infrared camera assessment of the individual. So um, we're really looking forward to that. We're hoping to launch that in the next six months or so uh, with the Kineticense organization that we're working with. Um, and right now they can visit our website. It's fluidhealthandfitness.com. Um, and there there's a, a link that they could uh, sign up, uh, up for, for a form. And, and we do a, a video conference call where we'll actually have them move and do a, a movement screen currently right in front of us. We answer some questions and then we can give them some feedback about specific things that, that they could work on. And we do have virtual classes that we provide so people can do it from the comfort of their home. Um, so lots of different options. Really, it's just um, making sure that we all know what we need to work through, the, the various relationships. There's, you know, we, we classify it into, you know, very simple categories because, you know, we deep dive into these distortion patterns, you know, patellofemoral maltracking, Q angle, pelvic angle, sacral slope. And there's a lot of confusing stuff, but really it's okay. Well, here's your body moving in a, in a way that you can recognize and here's why. And so let's use these tools to get our balance back. And when that happens, then we start to add on the different levels of, of strength. So really just takes a, you know, a mindful or a, a specific eye to see what's going on. And, and they can, they can do that through our website if they just want to go to fluidhealthandfitness.com. That's great. And I, I, I want to leave folks with a quote from a childhood hero of mine named Bruce Lee. And uh, it's related, I think, to the branding of fluid health and fitness. And uh, in an interview, uh, Bruce was saying, empty your mind, be formless and shapeless like water. Now you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it into a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. Yep. The, your body, and that's so metaphorical for everything in life. So yeah, that's, that's essentially the essence of fluid and you, you hit it spot on there, Jason. That's awesome. Well, everybody, this has been Ryan Maxwell of Fluid Health and Fitness. And Ryan, I thank you again for taking the time to join us here on the podcast and um, good luck in your upcoming uh, birthing and bringing a new life into this world, or at least externally. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm also interested to see in uh, all of the experiments that you do with your child on uh, movement <laughs> over the years. That's for another podcast. We'll we'll get into you know infant development of biomechanics. That'll be fun to see. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks, Ryan. And thanks, everyone, for listening. The show notes, as usual, will be posted on EliteHRV.com slash podcast. You can find uh, links to the other episodes I talked about there as well and links to Ryan and Fluid Health and Fitness. So thanks again, Ryan, and we'll wrap here. The Elite Academy now offers in-depth online courses on multiple subjects. So if you're enjoying the content of this podcast, but you're looking for a more structured and logical progression, looking at the science and application of these subjects, 
check out the Elite Academy at EliteHRV.com slash academy.